All right, Daniel, victory over Fulham. Third place secured. Good end to the season. Bit sloppy first 20, 30 minutes or so. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I, I didn't like the performance in midweek for similar reasons where people were just taking a stroll through our midfield like it didn't exist. And yeah, we beat Chelsea comfortably in the end because our players are better. We didn't beat them by really outplaying them in quite the manner that every other fucker seems to have done. Yeah. Although not Newcastle today, I guess. No. And we, I mean, you don't really want to say it, but if we play like we played today or yesterday, next weekend, we'll be yeah. counting counting the teeth we don't have. Yeah, this no, time, that's right. This time next week also. You know, meant to score against Chelsea, which is a bonus. Racked up 5XG, over 5XG against Chelsea. It was just one of those games that felt like a, I don't know, either end of season didn't mean anything, but it did mean something, or a testimonial, one of those games where everyone's sort of like phoning it in, really. And and the first 20 minutes against Fulham felt like that as well. Just way too open, even with Freddie in there for Ericsson, conceding conceding chances and conceding possession in dangerous areas. It, it really worries me for the cup final, honestly, if we're like that. I wonder whether Eric Ten Hag might like find a different solution, try and get an extra man in midfield because it look it doesn't look it doesn't look great if it's like that. <laughs> no, and Luke Shaw has got that gag about Casemiro, how they say that he likes they they think he gives the ball away on purpose so he can win it back. And I know that he's good at tackling, but it would be good if he just gave the ball away a little bit less. And he is his forward passing is excellent. I like the fact that he takes risks. But yeah. he, do, he does put us in trouble more than I anticipated he might and more than I'd like him to. The no-look pass against Chelsea was just a lovely piece of skill. Really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, it was, but, it was beautiful. And he his ability to do stuff like that means that we can actually, we have a bit more leeway with the midfielder we might sign, I think. Because I know that we're probably looking at someone more attacking because we do need someone instead of Ericsson. But to me, it's that Casemiro gives us enough going forward so that if we signed the first signing or the main, the one we made sure to get was someone like Caicedo, then what that does is it means that you're not totally shafted every time Casemiro gets injured or suspended. And it means that you can also play both of them against teams who might pass it better and make it an extremely unpleasant afternoon for them, whoever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I guess I mean, part of United's problem and the reason why Ericsson's playing in central midfield, which he's pretty much never done in his career prior to this, is is because you need to build up through midfield. And I mean, I guess the question if Casemiro played as a more of an eight than a six in, in that kind of system, would United's build up? Would, is his progressive passing good enough to get the ball through midfield into our more dangerous players? And that'd be my only question. And does he have the energy to play that kind of role? And who, who knows? There's, there's been occasions this season where he's looked really tired, Casemiro. And both of them, Ericsson and Casemiro, have looked their age at points. And they, like the back-to-back, which we're going to get next season in the Champions League again, is to just, yeah, it means United have to have more players there to, to be able to rotate. Yeah, I mean, I think the point is actually it gives you, if you sign someone more similar to Casemiro, then it means you don't have to play him in all the games. Whereas yeah, if you yeah. sign one midfield player and it's Mason Mount, let's say, and we'll talk about him, I'm sure, in a minute, that you still have to play Casemiro in all the games because you don't have yeah. any kind of alternative. Uh, that's true. There isn't There isn't one. I mean, we've tried Fred and, and 
Scott McTominay there and they are not the answer at number six, are they? Uh, and I don't else. think it, or anywhere else, to be honest. Yeah, it, 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 it's obviously the takeover is inhibiting United's ability to do deals. I, I think, I mean, I'm guesstimating that one because there will be a budget and they can make an assumption about budget now because they've qualified for the Champions League. And we, they know the precise FFP calculations. Everyone's guesstimating that about 100 million plus whatever sales are made. So, and presumably there will be some. It's starting so th- to look like we might just sell players for whatever we can get for them rather than, nah, man, that, that's not enough. I want 79 million pounds, Brandon Williams, because I want to go right, exactly. and tell my wife I did that. Which was a kind well, of felt like the Woodward approach. It, the Woodward approach of having a fat squad, right? And and handing like actually out contracts. fat and also fat in terms <laughs> yeah. of size, bloatedness, but not fat with a pH. No, sadly not. Yeah, so it, I mean, it does it does seem like the Murtar and and Andy O'Brien on the football side of things, and and the new CEO and stuff are, are taking more pragmatic approach. There, we'll we'll see. I mean, will they? Would they sell Fred or McTominay for a re, any reasonable fee? What were what are they asking for? Maguire, Maguire's three years into his contract at United, divide eighty million by five times it by three. That's your that's your book value for Maguire. If they take that, I mean, what is that? It's going to be just under forty million. They'd take that, wouldn't they? Forty million for Maguire. So yeah, I think they might. Yeah, and that also, I mean, you book that straight away, and then you amortize any spending over five years. So actually, it's anything they can sell this summer has a bigger boost to the budget for FFP purposes than you might think it does. So you know, anyway. You know those sandals that you get bought as a kid as a kind of school? They're like a school shoe, but they're right. not lace-up. They'll have like maybe like a buckle or Velcro on them. Do you know the kind right, of right. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I've started imagining Maguire playing in a pair of those. <laughs> but he just sort of... I don't know why. I feel like he looks like he's playing in kids' sandals. Don't know why I, don't know why I feel that, but I Well, do. he gave the ball away... He started the sequence where United conceded the penalty by giving the ball away, and clearly it was a trip and a, a clear pen, but it was his fault for giving the ball away in the first place, Maguire. He didn't do too much wrong today, but he was at fault for that one. And then Fulham's goal, I, I can't actually blame Maguire, but I can put it Dave, who's like stood on his slide yeah, while we... Maguire's heading it out from about like inside his own six-yard box. Like, catch the fucking ball! It's <laughs> it's just that I've always come back to the same thing with him. The things he's crap at feel like things he should be able to get good at. I think he's got worse than that. He's got he's got more conservative over time. Remember that first season he was. That's what they say happens to people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we'll we'll be here in twenty forty five. Yeah, go oh, stop the boats or something like that. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. It's his first season, and he got he got dumped for Lindegaard a couple of times, didn't he, by Fergie because he he was under pressure and players were crowding him. But he was at least trying to do something, making mistakes, flapping at balls, but trying to. He doesn't even he doesn't even try it now. His cross percentage, cross cross claim percentage, is is something like two percent. It's right at the bottom of the goalkeepers in the Premier League. It's it's incredible. He just will not move from his line. And also, particularly, we're quite a small team as well. So from set pieces and stuff, a dominant goalkeeper is actually would be quite helpful. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've definitely come to the conclusion, and it wasn't just because of a mistake against, what was it, West Ham, that United would be a much better team with a with a goalkeeper who can not only pass, that's that's a bonus. I, I, less less of a problem when Martinez is in the side, I think. You just give it to him and he pings it around. But but someone who dominates the area, for sure. Just an all-round keeper. It's, I don't know that his saves now, which are underwater on expected goals against, are are enough to justify the lack of presence around the around the goal. Anyway, it contributed heavily to United conceding no, that first goal. As you say, it's not even the, the rickets, really. It's it's the fact that he just stays on his line, which means the rest of the team's playing 10 yards deeper than, than they'd want to. Than they need to, do. Yeah. to. And yeah. that feels like, that and the crosses feel like much feel much more significant than the lack of ability to build attacks and, and the occasional error. I... I want someone who's going to... And it's also... It doesn't... It comes down also to something a bit more even than just actual keeping goal. That it comes down to organising and commanding a back ball. He just feels like he can't he be fun to it. play with. It's just yeah. a pain in the ass to play with. Especially, I guess, when you've got those two centre-backs, Maguire and Lindelof, and neither of them presumably want to leave too much space in behind either. Most definitely not. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it felt like that for the first, what, 20 minutes or so, g- giving the ball away, trying to progress it out the back. Uh, and it, it contributed, as I said, in part to, to the penalty that was given away. But that save seemed to spark, I mean, definitely sparked the crowd into life and seemed to spark United into life. I wondered whether it might be half time because I, I can't, like, Eric, Eric can't want them to just slack off. Before you can't just <laughs> you can't just turn it on, you know. Just have a laugh, laugh off, off, lads. It's all yeah, good. I know. It's it's yeah. So it was kind of a bit shocking, honestly, that first the first bit of the game. But the response after the penalty save was good. I think United were suddenly in it. I thought Sancho actually had one of his better games this season. You know, he was involved a lot. You know, he's never I... he's not he's not beating men, but he's not going to do that. But he was involved in um, some some really good stuff. Really nice, like wall pass with Rashford that. Didn't quite come off. Involved in a lot of United's attacking moves, I thought. Sorry, I'm just yawning while I think about Jaden Sancho. But I think Sancho, it feels like a classic. He might just have played himself into cup, the cup final team over the last few weeks. He's one of those players who you can argue should be in the team and then totally lets you down. Yeah. That's yeah. where I feel this is at with Sancho. Now, I actually thought, I know he got a little stick for the way he played against Bournemouth because of the off-the-ball stuff. But on the ball, I thought he played quite well. I can see why you might want him against City, because you might be thinking, well, we need to have some of the ball and see yeah. pick players that are able to keep a hold of it. But you could just as easily say, we're not going to beat City by trying to play like City. We're going to beat City by getting our most dynamic players on the counter and in transition on the pitch. Yeah. And he probably isn't that. But yeah, I, I agree. I thought, I thought he played pretty nicely today. I just... I just can't rely on him in any way. So no, no. I mean, we're looking looking ahead to, to. We'll we'll talk about it in more detail. But but that balance of the front three is interesting because Martial just doesn't look right at all. Vencourse is obviously never going to score. Managed to miss a sitter today. <laughs> Chance for his first Premier League goal. Well, it also felt United. like he knew that. Yeah, mate, you've played half a season for Man United and you haven't scored, and that is it. You're not. You're going to be that guy. Played up front for United and never scored for I mean, twenty Ter- games. Unbelievable. Yeah. Even te- even little Terry Gibson, who scored more goals against United than he did for United, got one. <laughs> it's good, good, good stat. 
Yeah, I fewer Jesus. goals to United than James Carragher. Nice. <laughs> what 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 a time to be alive! That vague horse up front for twenty five games or whatever it's been. Yeah, I mean, I, I do I do think that just given Martial's performances and vague horse, it, it looks to me like Rashford will play through the middle. Yeah. Uh, John Ajo, has he done enough to play himself into the side? It's not clear that he has. Really. You think he'll play Rashford up front? I, I'd like, I would. I don't know. I don't know if Tanaf will because, I mean, I mean, I felt like why, why was Martial not starting then? It's actually you, you don't really know if he's not starting to save him or if he's not starting because he's not playing. Well, he's definitely not sharp, so he needs the minutes. So it's. It, it, it's one thing you like. You could you can argue about his consistency, his injury record. I mean, obviously, people look at his body language. I thought that was unfair sometimes with Martial or his or his like work rate or his consistency. One thing you never could accuse him of is lacking sharpness and pace, but you definitely can now. I mean, maybe it's just one injury too many. It just he just doesn't seem like dynamic at all. And so that's that's why I'd be edging towards like probably playing Garnacho and Rashford rather than. I think the Rashford. thing for me with Garnacho, and I keep saying this is it's pointless having him in reserve at seventy minutes if it's three 0 Yeah, and I feel like he is more likely to cause City problems than Sancho or Martial. So... Yeah, but to, but today he wasn't he wasn't awesome. I mean. He had a good battle with what was he called Tete on the uh, Fulham's right back. A few t- few times he sh- shot when he should have passed, uh, and that's a common theme with him. But we know he can moments of brilliance do come. Yeah, also hit one I just, the bar when he probably should have scored. He's also he's so up himself, and that is what you need. I don't feel that Sancho has that. That he he could easily get on that pitch and just feel daunted by the opposition and by the occasion, whereas that's Garnacho is not that kind of individual. Where he's someone who's like, no, I deserve this. This is me, and I'm going to make this happen. So even if he doesn't, he starts with an attitude that is more conducive to making stuff happen than than Sancho does and Martial does. So I I do like him. I, I do. I would probably start him for that reason, although having him to come on when people are a bit tired is also something good. It's good to have in reserve, but yeah, we just need to be cognizant of the fact that reserve might not really exist. It it might not exist against City. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, completely different game today. United had most of the possession, 20 odd shots again. I think it was nearly 30, wasn't it? Against Chelsea. Crane chances, not finishing them. Story of the season. Really. That's why United have got 50, what, how many? 55 goals or something? Can't remember. So you have to go all the way down to Villa or something to get fewer goals. So it's it's obviously what they're going to try and fix in the summer. But again, City is going to be sitting deep. They'll have all the possession, try and go a bit more direct to pacey players up front. So I think that's that's going to be the pattern. Today, who, who finally, up- dominant finally, but yeah, it took a while. So who would you pick at the back in that one? I mean, it's 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 Shaw, Lindelof, Varane. I mean, probably Wan Bissaka because we're going to be defending quite a lot. I assume because he didn't play today. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he'll be those. I think I would be thinking quite hard about Malassia, a left back, to play sure in the middle, just so I don't yeah. fancy Lindelof against Haaland at all. But he's playing well. Yeah, yeah. 
And yeah. they, I mean, obviously, when he doesn't have Maguire next to him, he is immediately better. Like those two together, immediately, are, are just yeah, arrested. Dumb and dumber. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I, I, I it surely will have to be Fred in midfield. I mean, I wish we had a better option, a better not Ericsson option than Fred. But in order to compete and try and win the kind of turnovers that we're going to need to get something, get anything yeah. done whatsoever, I guess it is going to be after. It is going to have to be in. I, I would, yeah, I guess we're talking about City because it's more important than the Fulham game. But uh, I wonder whether he'd be tempted because we've seen him do this before, play one extra midfielder. So Fred and Ericsson and Casemiro or Motomane and Fred and Casemiro and Bruno pushed wide right. That'd be the other option. He's, he's definitely done it this season. A few games there. It's not where I like Bruno, but I just don't expect United to have more than about 30, 30 35% of the ball. So. But I guess you want them to be effective when they do. And for that to be the case, you need the best best player in the middle of the pitch. So I don't think he'll do it because also now he has options. You think he said he thought Anthony would be available and he can yeah. also play Sancho there. So right. I, Oh, I he think... thinks Anthony's going to be available. I missed that. Yeah, yeah. He said that right. before the match. He's on crutches. Oh, well, but... if, if Anthony's fit, he's going to play him because he's he's been better attacking-wise last few months we're, but he's great defensively so. we're better with Anthony in the team I mean it, it yeah. is that simple I mean he's got he's got things that he needs to improve on and he does look like he'll be a much better player next season because it does you can see him you see that he's improved through this season but yeah. he always he almost always picks Anthony when he's fit yeah and yeah the no, team he will. almost yeah. always looks yeah. better when Anthony's in it so yeah, yeah I agree yeah 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 well yeah in, in that case I mean if he is going to be fit which is a surprise because of the the screaming agony that Anthony was apparently in. He does seem to have a low pain threshold, doesn't he? <laughs> it does. But yet he's got a tattoo on that bone behind the ear, which Oof. feels like it must be quite sore to have to have done. I don't know. I don't know. Don't but, know. Uh, Haven't got any tattoos. The thick. Why not? Don't know. Never fancied it really. If you yeah. could have one, what would you have? I, I just wouldn't. I wouldn't get in it. I mean. I just wouldn't do a footballer because <laughs> just wouldn't. It's just too. I feel like if tattoos weren't against Jewish law, and that was something that bothered me in my teenage years, which it did, right? I I wouldn't have put some kind of United tattoo beyond me. Yeah, yeah. But a few few bevies and that. Yeah, I would do it. I don't know. I just never fancy tattoo. Obviously, I've got my cock pierced, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a six foot two. I'll, I'll tell you. I tell you what I did do though, which is almost like a tat, I guess. Was on, I think I might I might have said this before. So please forgive me if I'm repeating an old story. But I am old. But I went on the beach in Israel in the summer of '95 with no sun cream, and I put a number seven on my heart in plasters, and then got burned to shit <laughs> on purpose, <laughs> and then. Had the number seven on myself for most of the next year as a consequence after doing a lot of like glowing and smouldering all the way home. I could get my hand, I feel like you get my hand under my skin. It was, it was not good. It was not good at all. And uh, yeah. But so I did, I did semi tap myself, but that is high up there on the most ridiculous things I've done for United there. That's, that's pretty ridiculous. But I think, yeah. The thing with who plays on the right is actually particularly important against City because they don't have a left back. And part of me... Well, do you think they'll play three at the back? I mean, they have been. I, I can't imagine. Of. 
yeah, I can't imagine they won't because it's working. And the thing that I haven't, I haven't written this piece yet, so and, but no one else has, so I can say it and feel like if someone else writes it, then they're sort of copying. But I mean, what I mean is that the thing that the big change from City this time, apart from the greatest tactical mind of the generation realizing that defenders you can defend are quite useful. Which I mean, I know he was sort yeah. of like having a dig at Cancelo when you said that, but I have also been criticizing him for the a decade for not thinking that you need defenders you can defend. And he'd always yeah. got away with it before, but he'd never got away with it in Europe, And, and to, uh, apart from when he had that midfield and Messi. But what what's happened with City this season is they've transitioned from a, uh, from a possession team into a possession and a power team. And that is, yeah. I think, why they're so difficult to play against right now. And obviously they've signed Haaland, but then at the back, They've got a Kanji who was a panic buy. I don't think he thought a Kanji would be a first choice at this point. But he's got a Kanji Walker and Diaz who are all yeah. I mean Diaz isn't as quick, but the other two are fast and physical. Yeah, yeah. And Diaz is extremely physical. So you've got those three starkers who are playing at the back. Then in front of that, you've got Stones and Rodri, who are also big units. And then in front of yeah. that, you've got Haaland. And it was really noticeable against Madrid that you're used to watching City run around teams. But they didn't just run around Madrid, they ran over them. And that's really the first yeah. time I've seen a Guardiola team doing that. And it yeah, felt yeah. like there's a phrase you see it used against wrestlers, you see it used about wrestlers. When wrestlers fight MMA, they're obviously, they have a massive advantage because they're just wrestlers. So they can decide where the fight takes place because they can take you down if they want if they want to. When it's sort of similar with City, that they can just, their passing is so good, they can just keep the ball moving. And then you have to, you have to hit them with something out of the blue, really. And then you, feel, you see a wrestler, and the phrase is they fall in love with their power. Because obviously you have these wrestlers who are massive athletes who've been competing with athletes all the way through high school, all the way through college. They don't really know how to punch, but then they learn how to punch, and they realise, oh my gosh, I'm quite hard, and I can whack, and I can whack someone. And they fall in love with their punch, and it feels like Guardiola's that at the moment, that he's sort of fallen in love with football as a power game. And I hate to say mm-hmm. it, but this City team are much more entertaining to watch, I think, than... Than, than the other sort of two two Guardiola teams that, that they've yeah, been. Yeah, wash your mouth out. Yeah, they're definitely more flexible than than previously. I I, I think there's a lot of talk about how would Haaland fit into the team. The, the fact that is nuts. that yeah, that, I mean it was obviously nuts because he was obviously going to score a bag full of goals. But and they the had thing a that surprised before. me, right? Well, it's true. The thing that surprised me was that Guardiola adapted to Haaland rather than the other way around. Right? He has built this. He's he's. He's built. He's always worried about the transition, right? So this is why he's playing stones in midfield. So he he stops off the transition, and they've also gone at times a little more direct than you'd expect, or at least. And I don't mean that lumping the ball into the box. I mean getting the ball towards Harland faster and through the centre, which I like. They're always one of the lowest ball through ball playing teams. I'm muddling that up, but because they were always trying to walk the ball into the net, you just don't see that from City anymore. They're they're not scoring their archetypal goals as much. Uh, yeah, and, and I think adapted. I think if it wasn't Haaland who they could get, they may well not have bought that kind of centre forward last summer. It just right. was that Haaland was so good that you just signed him and then deal with it. And what they've had to do is because he's not really interested that in getting involved in the play, he wants to run in behind and he wants one touch finishes it sort of cost them a player in the build-up that they had last season when De Bruyne was playing there or Foden was playing there. And the way that they made that work is by taking a man out of defence, putting that player in front of the back four, and then you've got another four of those in front of them. So what it means is that they're attacking 
with five, six players a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they can that, still throw that extra midfielder forward because they've got the security against the the transition in Stones and but, Rodri behind. Yeah, yeah, but that is that is where we could that is where we can hurt them because there is still a space on the left of the defense, and so even if Stones is in it, he's not a left back. He's also not that good a defender. He's, yeah, but this this position has worked out better for him because it's allowing him to do a bit of defending, but also get on the ball, and that's why they bought him in the first place. Why God, yeah, they bought him to begin with is because he's good on the ball, not because mm. not because he was good at defending one on one. But the other three behind him can defend one on one. Walker and Akanji in particular, and I mean, I think that in the end, you know, you just United need to really stay in the game at the beginning. I think the most likely route to victory is scoring first and and holding out and holding on, scoring yeah. twice and holding on. But it's, it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to throw that. Like, because sometimes when an inferior team plays a better one, you see that inferior team have a good 20 minutes in the beginning. It just doesn't seem yeah. that likely. I mean, the hope, I guess, is that City have lost a bit of momentum by virtue of resting players. Yeah, Whereas, well, they it, have it, managed to get everyone fresh, haven't they? I mean, but yeah, we'll see whether that's that has broken up their momentum or not. I mean, I didn't see their game today against Brentford because I was watching the, the relegation stuff. And United, obviously. So I, I I don't know whether they were any good there or they just phoned in. I know they made it quite a few changes again. So they will be fresh, but truth, they they may well have lost some momentum. It's, uh, but I don't know. I just hope it's not like that League Cup semi-final from a few years back when they were 3-0 up in 20 minutes and it was all done. Well, we are, we are much better now than we were then. But we don't know how this team are going to turn up at Wembley if they're just going to turn up and totally freeze. And City have started games quite well recently, and it's that ability to just keep moving the ball. And it happened to United, even under Fergie, I remember before Guardiola, when we played them in the Cup in 2012, when the when the company got sent off, we scored this brilliant goal on the break. But in however many minutes that were prior to it in that game, we couldn't really get a touch of the ball, and. It, it does. It is going to require some extremely disciplined defending of the box and probably the bounce of the ball being helpful, all that kind of thing. But if we had Martinez, I'd semi-fancy us to do something. It does now feel like a puncher's chance and we're not that good at punching. Hmm. Yeah, we, we need we to, uh, Dr. F- Dr. Fuentes to get his healing hands on Martinez and... Yeah. So sadly, sadly, injuries have had an impact on us this season. Not on City. Never get any players injured, funnily enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it's... Who, who knows? I mean, it could be. It could be an absolutely horrendous day. But this is... I mean, it's sort of the price of supporting a good team, but people that support crap teams think that just you're lucky supporting a good team who wins stuff. And they're right. Like, we are lucky. I mean, we've seen some unbelievable stuff. But... I don't know anyone who supports many other teams who've seen who've lost the league to their local rivals yeah, with yeah. the last yeah. kick of the season or seen like Liverpool win all those league titles through the eighties and six European Cups. So yeah. you get you get the best of you get the best of one world and the worst of the other, I guess. Yeah, that's right. That you do have to find yourself in these positions where disaster is close. And that, uh, that's true, and we have not, as of yet, lost a cup final to City. <laughs> So, and look, they're not City are going to win the European Cup, aren't they? I just can't, I can't see, I can't see a way that Inter don't lose that. They're they're not going to be able. To, I mean, 
Interpress is crap. City will play around that. The inter ability to play out the ball out of the back is crap. <laughs> City will press that into mistakes. So I just uh, I don't see a path to Inter unless they hire Mourinho for one game and do a twenty five percent possession like Roma did in the in their semi final. One shot, twenty five percent possession, and Leverkusen had like thirty. It was an incredible game. That <laughs> one just so Mourinho. Unless Inter can find a way to do that, but that's not how they. That's not actually how they play. So they're going to win the European Cup. Yeah, Champions I mean it's felt, and so it's up to us. To it's sort felt it out. for quite a long time like we are the best hope, and we're a complete bunch of unreliable wankers. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, there were a lot of talk this week about City's financial shenanigans as there should be I think and find, finally some good coverage about it because I think there's a lot of sort of fawning about City without recognising that 1.5 billion pounds over the last 15 years being dumped into into that club when they couldn't afford it breaking every rule according to the Premier League that is you know 115 charges has an impact <laughs> and as brilliant as Guardiola might be with the elite players he's not doing that without that concentration of, of he's not even there and, and players yeah he's not he's not he's not there like everything flows from that yeah and the idea that the football is a separate thing that should is just there to be enjoyed is complete bollocks and the way that Guardiola gets by it is by making out like football is some kind of moral standard alongside other moral standards like integrity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he conveniently ignores and humanity. And it's a complete load of bollocks, really, that there are some things that are more important than good football and more important than your team being good at football. And it feels like clubs who've recently developed this kind of wealth do not feel that because there's this notion that, well, we've suffered for a long time, so therefore it's our right to enjoy this success and no one should say anything. It's just, no, it isn't a right. No one has any right to footballing success. And secondly, this is literally the deal. The deal of your team being good is you enjoy the team being good in whatever way you want. I mean, it's free country, do what you want, but then people are going to talk about that. Yeah. Paris Saint-Germain won the, the French League again. And when Qatar took over, they'd won two. They now have 11 French league titles to be the most successful French team. And Paris Saint-Germain fans aren't happy. I mean, there's been several protests. The ultras had banners up saying things like, you're not us, leave now, even though they won the league title again. And and they haven't played great football under Galtier, even with Neymar and Messi and, and Mbappé when they're fit. Uh, but it's also because because like it, they don't inspire love at all when you like financially dope your way to to league titles. Uh, and, and I mean, I've said this before on the pod, but Guardiola has said it more than once that he feels like his team is not getting the respect they he thinks they deserve. He's never going to get that because everyone knows they've sort of cheated their way to this position, and it doesn't happen without state wealth. It's not a local businessman done good that like suddenly pumped in money even if it was that it's a, with all the financial doping as well it would be different than a state doing it and trying to hide everything so it's a bit of that and it's a bit of a lack of compelling personalities as well in whatever way they're just they've never been particularly interesting in terms of the characters in the team which is one of the things that united had in the 60s and also had in, in the 90s in particular when they were successful was just 
players in the team that people were interested in. The same way people were interested in the Babes. People were interested in a team that had David Beckham and Ryan Giggs in it. And had Eric Cantona in it. They had Roy Keane in it. And City have never really had that. Where there's a... I mean, they've got harder now who people who people want to watch. Yeah. It's kind of, and Jake Grealish. Who's, I mean, it's different, but he does he does sort of inspire some level of devotion, doesn't he? With his thighs and his nice hair. Yeah, I guess he and it also he's but he's only started playing really well. I mean, I know he's had quite a good generally a good season, but someone who people think, well, just sort of since the World Cup really, where he's made himself a proper fixture in the team. Yeah. But ultimately when we look at the final, I feel like I'd still much rather it was him than Phil Foden in that position. Because I think just like with Foden is the he has the ability to do stuff that you can't really do too much about. Whereas Greenish is fitting very well into that team, but if Wan-Bissaka has a good day, he can do a good job on Grealish. If Wan-Bissaka has a good day. <laughs> what a combination of words that is. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because he's, he's Grealish, not, Grealish wins a lot of fouls and that is a problem for United. But Wan-Bissaka is normally quite tidy with his, with his tackling, isn't he? He doesn't give away a lot of fouls. He's, he's a problem... Like in terms of his positional sense, although I think that has improved as well. I don't remember the last time he got caught out the the back post. I may be forgetting one. He's he's knocked uh, some balls away at the back post recently. He's actually done some defending in that area. I agree. He has he has improved a bit of that. There was a, a good thing that Nick Harris from Sporting Intelligence put out. It was a conference he spoke at last year where he kind of summarised City's cheating in in 12 minutes it's worthwhile it's on my twitter feed 12 minutes uh, speaking for 12 minutes is a long 12, time just 12 minutes that is a yeah, lot of I'll... cheating <laughs> well he only really it's a it's a it's just the greatest hits actually he didn't go into every single thing but you can summarize it in terms of fake sponsors artificially inflated sponsorship deals when it was actually coming directly from the uh, the emirati and not the sponsors that are owned by the Emirati. I mean, it's a kind of moot point. Refusing to answer questions. That's a brilliant quote that we've seen before about rather they'd rather they spent 50 million on the best lawyers on the planet than on uh, players. Obfuscating as much as possible, refusing to answer questions, weaponizing fans. He goes through great six anyway. It's well worth it's well worth watching that. Just as a nice pricey of how City have behaved the last 15 years now. Yeah, I, I I think that the whole the self righteousness of City is just really quite something. And bearing in mind they obviously know what the reality is. If they have been cheating, it's I we know pun- what the reality is. It was all out there. Football leaks leaked yes. it all. <laughs> so yeah. the indignance, the indignation is really are they convincing themselves that Actually, they haven't done it because you know how when you when you when one is lying oneself, there are two ways of yeah. doing it. You either convince yourself that the the thing that's the lie is true, or you just like brazenly lie. Yeah, and you lie. Well, much, some of it is brazen much, lying. Yeah, you lie much better uh, if you believe in the truth of what you're saying. Yeah, I, I mean, I think part of this is the Abu Dhabi strategy, and it's also what they've done in things like arms sales as well. I mean, uh, UAE are serial funders of of various forces around the world, including currently the RSF, uh, who are kind of rebel army, who are waging a civil war against the Sudanese army in Sudan right now. I mean, this is the really serious shit, right? 
people are people are dying and a significant part of it is is because of that but yeah so they've they've done that and they've done it in football terms but they have brazenly lied i mean we've we've seen because of freedom information requests so oh no actually it was accidentally put out wasn't it some of the court transcripts from their their efforts to delay everything uh, on the premier league investigation brazenly saying no they hadn't inflated inflated sponsorship deals when the same people including people like simon pierce and some of the other executives were sending emails back and forth to each other saying no no we only we only need four million the rest of it's coming from somewhere else i mean you know it's just as brazen as it gets yes yeah almost as bad as the pif saying no no we're not a state entity and they go, <laughs> no no we are a state entity we need diplomatic immunity you know yeah, I mean, this that we should even be here is just such a crock of shit. It's so depressing that football has come to this. That I, I, we, I want to talk about this. No, I, I'm sick of it. Sick of hearing myself talk about it. So, and because football's meant to be an escape from this bullshit, where right, you don't have to just for an hour and a half. You can forget about the problems of the world, and. Yeah. It is not like that because the problems of the world are football's problems too. And I mean, it's yeah. not just this. Well, they partic- are, yeah. It's not just this particular thing. Obviously, there are just other things that occur in football, like racism, homophobia, anti Semitism, that are the problems right. of the world too. But rich people fucking it up for everyone in a just a callous, thick manner, but yet they're able to get away with it. Is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly where we are as a species, isn't it? I mean, it's a total cancer on the game. Like billionaires and private equity funds are pretty bad. Uh, State wealth is another level altogether. And state wealth from abusive authoritarian regimes and and, uh, using these institutions and politicizing them to, to get your way is, yeah, complete cancer. Anyway, talking talking about racism to move on to great, lovely subjects. Uh, it's pretty brutal what happened in Spain with Vinicius Junior getting abused again. And uh, it was interesting that he took it upon himself because clearly the Spanish authorities would do nothing to call out both La Liga and the Tebas, the La Liga president, and the fact that he'd been abused. I think it was 11 separate occasions, he noted in his Twitter thread. And that, that really seems to have moved the needle. We'll see whether it actually creates action or not, but it seems to have done something. We end up with is you end up with the people who are being abused get forced into a situation where they have to solve this problem. Yeah, and he shouldn't have to do that. He shouldn't have the FIFA protocols, like FIFA, who who's whose role in in the politicization of football has been quite heavy, right? But the FIFA protocols are quite clear: the referee should stop the game, and and they don't at all. Yeah. And it shouldn't be on Vinicius to, to go and defend himself like that. Or at some point you feel that the players will just have to walk off and say we're not playing. And they should anymore. do. And yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not, I don't feel, I'm not going to, I feel it's up to me to tell them what they should do other than to say I'll yeah. just back whatever they do. But again, the fact that we're leaving it to them to take action because the game isn't protecting them adequately with sanctions and is, is again like a problem that, you end up where it's sort of what happens when, I mean, it reflects really like structural inequality, structural racism, where you have, of course, the sanctions are not going to work properly and the, the disciplinary system is not going to work properly if the people who decided on it are all white men. Well, yeah. 
Yeah, it's a very definition of structural racism there. Yeah. But there was another piece floating around on Twitter, and I don't know the veracity of this yet because I just saw it on social media, of Stephen Berghus, ex-punching a fan who had apparently used the N-word. Good. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. Um, because, again, like, why should you think that you can do that in a football ground and not get a tickle? You should not. <laughs> Chat shit, get banged, as Jamie Vardy might say. Yeah. And I mean, I saw Baron <laughs> thinking about that at the time about Eric when he jumped into the crowd. If you call someone small or whore, and then they remonstrate with you, or a motherfucker, whatever close to what it was, now, I can't remember. If you yeah. if you if you do that and some and someone remonstrates with you, you okay? That that can happen, and that frequently but, uh, will. Uh, happen. Of course, as that chap said, I've got his name now. It's all these years later. He Simmons. said, "No, I." Matthew Simmons, yes. Uh, early, well, for off, off for an hour for you, Mr. <laughs> Cantona. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, that's what you said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't want to see players or fans having to having to do this. I mean, who was the West Ham fan? Nolsey, oh, giant God. of a man, seeing holding off like forty ultras the other week. I mean, amazing, amazing piece of amazing scenes there. It's just one of those beautiful aspects of football ephemera, Nolsey. That only happens in football. The fact that he's just standing there taking swings, and I don't know how that was a how he, I mean, how he was allowed to just stand there taking swings when there's a whole group that could rush him. And he's now become like this internet hero. Like he had a fake yeah. Twitter account. His daughter's the only one. The only account is his daughter's, and he's just been wandering around London with his black eye. Getting, congratu- getting congratulated. I mean, it is... well, he got a, he got a ticket to the Europa League final as well off the club, didn't he? Oh, he was um... like, what for kicking heads? Well, in Nozzy, yeah. What, what uh, do you think his name actually is? I mean, maybe it's Nozzy or Nozzy Nozzy. I'm not sure. Ke- Kevin Knowles or something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> so we think it's Knowles. Okay, uh, I'm guessing. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. No idea. What a maybe time get, to be like, alive. Maybe you can get a nosy tattoo. Maybe that's what. Yeah, you I'd rather. Get. I'd rather not. I don't, yeah, I think I'm going to skip that. But you know, nice, nice idea. I, I think I'll pass. Yeah, maybe I. Maybe I should get a Eric number seven on my ass or something. Number seven yeah. on your ass. Whereabouts? Yeah. I don't know. On the cheek. <laughs> <laughs> I will not be doing that. There was a lot of content a couple of days ago. 26th of May was the 24th anniversary, if you want to feel old, of 99. A lot of content doing around. I saw on your your other Twitter handle a lot there as well. Yeah, I, 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 the thing that I've lost that I had myself. There used to be like this video called the Champions of Europe video, and I had a lot of the celebrations in the ground afterwards. And don't know where that is because I wanted to upload that. It doesn't properly exist. Like the players were taking in turns to lift the trophy and stuff. It was yeah, one of those yeah. things that for years I thought was basically lost in the ground. That the only people like, but we only, only you, you only saw that if you were lucky enough to be in the ground. And then someone years later, I bought this. I found this box set that I bought and that I had that just the players celebrating and stuff. And David May getting in the road. <laughs> I've lost it. But yeah, I. It, what thinking about doing all those tweets and thinking about the treble, it did make me realise that whatever City do, it won't be like that. 
It won't. No, it won't. It won't. It won't be. And we may be rationalising it because... Oh, of course, we're we're absolutely doing that, but it still won't be like that. Yeah. It's still... like They're not winning the three trophies in the manner that we won them at a point when people care about them with that kind of drama, with those kind of characters where the whole country is talking about this shit and it's one of those football moments that has kind of been entered in the annals of humanity forevermore. Do you think if City do do the treble that their uh, apparent owner will actually turn up for the game? He's been once in 15 years. His love of City is that strong? He, I, I don't know. Probably not, you would think, because it's not really about that. But then at the same time, I guess the PR might be too good for him not to, given that is also part of the equation here. Yeah. What do you think about Mason Mount? Given that it does feel yeah. like we are we are interested in that. I was player. serious about it. Yeah, yeah, we had a bit of a chat on the Thursday pod. I mean, my my feeling with Mason Mount is that he's a he's a decent passer of the ball. He progresses the ball well. He's a great defensive player for a, an attacking midfielder. Great trigger press. Great trigger for the press. Right. He he knows when to do it, and that's why Southgate likes him so much. I always thought, looking at him, that he'd just be a better number eight than a number ten basically, because of those those qualities that he has. And all ran number eight, but he's hardly ever played there in his career. He's just almost always played at 10 or sort of wider right, as he's done with England a lot. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, he's one of those players who I've always thought was a good player. I remember I was covering Paul's first game as Chelsea manager. I think it was a goal to draw with Wolves, and he dropped Mount for that first game. And I remember saying in my commentary, I bet he doesn't do that again. And I said it before the game. Mm-hmm. Just, I felt like Mount was one of the best players in that team. And he was someone, I like his temperament. I think, I think yeah. he's got, I don't think he's scared in big games. But if we're buying him for the squad, like let's say you could swap him for, say, McTee plus Beak or something of that ilk, yeah. and you've got him for the squad, then th- that would be a very good bit of business because he can speed the game up for you. There's a reason why all these managers like him, why Liverpool quite fancy him now, and sure, why yeah, Arsenal yeah, do as well. Yeah. People that know more, know more about football than we do. There's a reason why those Surely managers... not. I mean, yeah, I mean, Alteta, I mean, he doesn't know more about trousers, <laughs> necessarily. But yeah, people who do, it is fair to say, know a little bit about association football. But there's a reason why all these players, all these people like him, and they want him. And yeah, yeah. I can see why it is. But... If you're trying to be better than City, bearing in mind that you know that in most games they're going to be they're going to be tactically extremely astute, you either need or you need both of better actual individuals than they do, or more physical than they are. Yeah. And I feel like Mount gives you neither of those things. If he's a first choice player, he's not good enough to play for City, and he's not physically going to do anything to knock City out their stride. So. Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, it, it probably, given the consensus opinion, is that it's fifty something million. It's it's probably not so big that, although this summer may be an issue, but yeah, if it is swapping a few sales for for Mount at fifty something million, he's it, probably not so big that he can't be part of a wider squad. Not necessarily number eight for every game, and not re- certainly not replacing Bruno. And for that, I think that's okay. It, it worries me when United you know, spend huge amount on a player because you can't upgrade him later or you won't upgrade him later, which is what has happened with Maguire until Ten Hag turned up and just dropped him. Yes. So 
And I think also Mount is not my, the kind of player that I think is most necessary in the midfield. I want someone a bit more physical who can take the ball off the back four and run forward with it. And maybe Mount can do that, but he's relying on a lot of nimbleness because he's not going to be able to power away with it. No, no, Um, I think think he's a kind of all-rounder with a very good defensive mindset. I mean, the thing is, if you look at all the data, it looks like last season was an outlier and not the breakthrough season. His, His numbers are quite mediocre on everything except for the defensive side of his game throughout his career and except for last season where he he puts open up the attacking numbers and I I don't know I don't follow Chelsea closely enough to know why it is I mean he's obviously has some injury problems you know we could ask we could ask Big Jim we could ask Big Jim since he's (laughs) I don't know whether he uses his season ticket or he's was he there today or was he on his boat in Monaco watching the Grand Prix not sure Uh, so I think the thing with Mount also that we should bear in mind is at 24 and with a really good manager there's probably some significant room for improvement and particularly with the numbers. I agree that definitely for a number 10, the numbers in general with him haven't been good enough for someone who could play for United. I always come back to thinking about Wayne Rooney when he, when he was playing in that position, he was putting up proper numbers and putting in a proper shift. Yeah. So, I mean, we know man will put in a shift, so that's not, that wouldn't be a worry. It's just, it is just quality, physicality numbers, those three things that, but, he playing in a better team with a good manager and reaching his reaching his peak, you would hope for some level of improvement. But the standard of player that I think we need to close the gap needs means that we need something better than what he is, and, and he'd have to get a lot better. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question is, what is the goal? I mean, right now, right now, it's all up in the air because the ownership situation hasn't been sorted out. But but if you make the assumption that yeah, Ten Hag is thinking another five to eight points next year and then go for the title the year afterwards or something like that. Although Arsenal improved by 15 points this season. United have improved by 17 points. So I think it's 17. So so you can make big leaps uh, Very, to if make you a just, challenge. But... If, you, if, you have a, if you have Harry Kane, I mean, it doesn't have to be. If you have a proper centre-forward, yeah. uh, you can very easily just look at the fixture, look at the games we play, the results, and think, yeah, there's absolutely no way. There's nine points, points there, there, yeah. And also, yeah. you've got to remember that we dropped six in the first two games. That's right. That's not happening yeah. again. We're not going to no. get no points in the first two games next season, I wouldn't have thought. Or lose those equivalent games, lose at Brentford and, and lose home to Brighton. That just seems unlikely. Yeah. All right, we'll keep in touch with all of this during the summer. I, I'm not sure what our plans are during the summer. There's no tournament football, and there is an extensive preseason tour covering multiple countries. As as is, uh, it's really valuable to United. It's going to be worth about thirty to forty million on the preseason summer tour. That's why the tickets to go and see United reserves versus Wrexham in San Diego are like five hundred dollars each because the tournament organiser fees are really high. And so are United's fees. But anyway, there's a lot of summer football. We'll cover that. I'm, I'm sure going we'll to I'm going about... to the Leon game in Murrayfield. Oh, nice. Nice. Yes. Nice. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it seems like quite a strange behaviour <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> I mean, obviously, United are playing, so never strange. But, but yeah, Weekend in Edinburgh is always just, great as well. It's actually, it's midweek. It's a midweek afternoon kickoff, which Weird. actually makes it more family-friendly in that yeah. I can sort of disappear without it ever really being totally... I just, yeah, 
not having to do drop-off and collection. And just see, yeah, I mean, I, when am I going to see a football match at Murrayfield or any kind of match at Murrayfield? Yeah. So I, I still haven't decided I might go to the game in Vegas, you know, versus Dortmund. I was just kind of mulling it over. Maybe we'll see. It's just 1,500 miles or something. Yeah, quick flight down there. But anyway, yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff to cover. So I'm sure we'll be back talking about that. We'll be back after the cup final and we'll do a review pod as well at some point soon. Yeah. Talking about how we've stopped cities, treble, aims and goals. Hopefully. Touch wood. What, what, what do you reckon? That, how do you feel about the, the cup final? Not great. <laughs> Although if anyone comes for a spare ticket at any point, hit me up. But I... It's one of those games that full strength United probably wins that, what, like two out of 10, maybe three out of 10 at this point, And we're not yeah. full strength, but we do have good enough players to beat anyone. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, yeah. Well, it'd be, it would be really terrible if they all came down, all the seat players came down with COVID or food poisoning or, or couldn't get a night's sleep because, you know, someone got into their hotel and, letting off air horns all night it'd be terrible Don't i mean do that yeah i, I mean I, yeah ultimately i'm sure that we will absolutely thrash them all right best of luck <laughs> we'll, we'll see you next week after that one please no question about that is supported by you our listeners through patreon.com forward slash nqat pod where you can get access to our weekly ad-free bonus episode talking about football around the Premier League and Europe.